Uh, so let me, uh, uh, I, I, uh, I collect quotes. That's an odd thing to say, but uh, I realized that if you were in my office and you were to look around, you see that I have a collection of quotes. Uh, some of them are in frames because it's so inspired me and it's become such a permanent part of who I am that I've put these things in frames on my desk. I have one currently that is connected to this campus that I shared with you once before, but that frame sits on my desk and I see it every morning when I walk into my office. Uh, I have some that are on my bookshelves. I have some that are uh, not framed, but they're just things that I found, and so I photocopy the book, and then I just cut it out, and I tape it to my desk, and so uh, I, t- I also tape them around the frame of my computer, and so I have uh, quotes that are typed out, and they're taped onto the frame of my computer. Those have some semi-permanence, right? They're there for a season for me, and the, they'll stay there for a while until another one comes along that I think is important for me. And I do or saw or heard, and so I write them out for that reason. Uh, sometimes I just write them in my journal, and other times I cut them out of the uh, same thing, photocopy, and tape them right into my journal. Uh, but I, I collect quotes. Uh, so here's one that I collected most recently uh, a couple months ago. It's from uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and it's up on the screen, and it says this, Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. So the reason that quote stood out to me and the reason that I, uh, I, have been, I collected that is that one of the questions that I have been often asked over the last year is, so how are you doing? Uh, when, I, when I'm asked that question, I assume that they're suggesting that doing a building a campus is hard work. And the answer is, yeah, it is hard work. But I'm doing okay because... Nothing worthwhile has ever been easy, right? It's hard work. Uh, Someone described to me this way, and I've kind of been stuck with it for a while, is it's like pushing water uphill. Do you guys feel like we're pushing water uphill sometimes? Pushing water uphill, it's uh, hard work, and it takes a team. That's what I've kind of figured out, to push water uphill. It means effort and pain and difficulty, and President Roosevelt would agree that it's worthwhile to do something that's hard. So that connects well to this morning's message because uh, this week we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, or the last six weeks we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and this morning we're going to finish chapter six, and this is the, the last in this series that we're calling Church on Monday, and we're looking at how we, the church, can live out our faith each and every week, and, how, and so we've been reading this letter that Paul wrote to the churches that were surrounding the city of Ephesus, and today we're going to read a portion from that final chapter. It's the same portion that Greg, uh, Craig just uh, dramatically read for us. And so I want to just highlight a few things that I noticed as, uh, as I've been reading that and uh, some things I've uh, challenged you uh, to read throughout uh, these last couple of weeks. And so it's in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. We're going to just read a few verses at a time, but we'll, we'll, we'll be reading the whole portion there. So in chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I think Paul's letting the Ephesians know this is hard work. Following Jesus is not easy. Building the church is challenging, but it's worth doing. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I think Paul here wants the Ephesian church to know. I think Paul would want us to know, the church in Mount Laurel meeting in the community center, that our, to know our enemy. And our enemy is not other churches. Our enemy is not the activities and the events that people are involved in on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. Our enemies, mighty powers, and evil spirits. Now, I have to tell you, and I've told you this before, that I do not go see, I don't see scary movies, all right? Uh, I have a rule about that. I don't, any movie, if there's demon possession in this movie, I do not see it. Not even, do I even consider it. Uh, I jokingly, when we go to the movies and the trailers are going through, if there's one of those movies out and it's in the trailer, I lean over to whichever family member I'm sitting next to and I let them know I'm not going right? Not a chance. There's one right now about this family, right? And there's like a us. No way. No way. No way. No way. All right. Uh, I don't want to be scared like that. All right. Now I'll go see other kinds of scary movies, but demon possession scary movies. No, I do not go see them. Now I jokingly say that, but here's the reason. I have a real heartfelt reason for why I don't do that. That stuff is real. That stuff is real. I don't watch those movies because we are in a spiritual battle with unseen principles and powers. And I don't want to be entertained by that. Because those powers, though they will not be able to beat us, our own mere human efforts are not enough. And Paul is letting the church know that. That it is not enough to go into these battles alone, to go into these battles without God's forces and God's uh, 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 armor on our side. It's for real. Now, at the same time, I think that we have to be careful that we can't so emphasize that and be so concerned for that that we spend all of our time concerned with evil spirits because I don't think that's healthy either. As a matter of fact, I stole that idea from C.S. Lewis. I think he knew what he was talking about. Up on the screen, he says, there are two, and this is from the Screwtape Letters, which is probably my favorite C.S. Lewis book, even more than The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for those of you who like that. Screwtape Letters is mine. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can befall about the devils. Now, Screwtape Letters is really about, it's about two, two people who are writing letters back and forth to each other concerning spiritual forces. One is to disbelieve in their existence. It's a mistake, Lewis says, to disbelieve in the existence of spiritual forces. The other, though, is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, talking about evil forces, talking about Satan and his demons, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, one who doesn't believe at all, or a magician, one who believes wholeheartedly and focused on it, that they're satisfied with either result. 
So my conclusion in these verses is that the enemy will do anything possible, will do everything possible to thwart God's plan. This is why it's so hard. It's not only because the 21st century is a post-Christian culture, it's because the enemy, the forces that are fighting against us, do not want to see the church grow, and they do do not want to see the church healthy. But yet we are called to win this battle. We're called to win this battle together as the church. And to today's message, I'll tell you up front that that there's always a goal in the message. At least I feel I have a goal. And the goal for this morning's message is to inspire us, but also to challenge us. All right. So you can uh, let you know that we're going to be inspired and we're going to be challenged because we need to share successes and failures. We need to share in the health of the church, and we need to share in the dysfunction that may exist. In other words, we need to admit that if there's dysfunction, we need to address it. And we need to see unhealthy behaviors, and we need to address it and immediately move forward through it because together we can trust in Jesus' statement about the church, and he said this about us. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So in verse 13, Paul then goes on and he begins to talk about this armor of God. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Now, often, probably every time I've ever heard anybody preach these uh, these verses, the preacher has always given a challenge. And I remember doing this in Sunday school, and I certainly remember every time in church that it was always about putting on all these things. And so I've, I saw one time someone had all these, uh, uh, you know, like they use football gear, and they put on the helmet of salvation and the, and the breastplate of righteousness, and they, they were kind of gearing up. And, and while I see that that could certainly provide some illustration, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. See, I imagine that Paul, who's a prisoner when he's writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman guard. And Paul seems to be the kind of guy that just could have a conversation with anybody. So I can imagine being chained to the Roman soldiers that Paul just got into conversation. He said, what is that? He's not a soldier himself, but he would be interested in those things, right? Because he's got nothing else to be interested in. So what does that belt do for you? What does that helmet do for you? And so as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's going, you know what? There's some gear that is required. But here's where I didn't want to do the whole put on the helmet, put on the breastplate, all those kinds of things. Because what I've been saying for the last six weeks as we read this, whenever you see the word you, what could we insert there? the church. It's always plural. Every single time the pronoun you you is used in Ephesians, it's plural. So when Paul talks about this gearing up, he's not talking about an individual gearing up. He's talking about the church collective, that all of us together need to be prepared for these things. So he says this in verse 14 up on the screen, stand your ground. Your ground, stand your ground, church. 
putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you, church, will be prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation, church, as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so I believe Paul is challenging the church collectively, all of us here in this room, to be prepared for, to work hard for this worthwhile effort called the church. And to do it together, he says, and if you're writing things down, here are some great questions for you to consider. He says, church, you need to be inspired and challenged to tell the truth. To have honest and authentic relationships. To ask the question, am I really committed to truth? Do I speak truthfully? Do I tell people about me truthfully? See, I think we have a spiritual practice of this all the time. When we do a greeting or when we see people in the, in the lobby on the way in and on the way out, what do we often do? We go, hey, how you doing? And I'm guilty of this. I'm great. I'm good. I'm fine. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. Now, I know that in the hallway on the way to the restroom, you really don't want me to unload all of the stuff that's in my life. But at the same time, if we're a community speaking truth to each other, imagine the kind of unity that can be developed and created, the kind of atmosphere that someone walking off the street coming in for the first time would say, there's something unique about this place. Those people have a level of honesty I've never seen before. So Paul says, speak the truth. He says that we should have righteousness. Not a church word. Uh, if we wanted to not make it a church word, Paul would say, you need to have right living. You need to be living right. Paul's letting us know that a good life is the best defense. It's about guarding our hearts from harm. It's about doing the right thing will make our lives better. I always remember that, uh, I think it was my mom told me this. I, I tend to, my mom listens to these, so I have to be really careful, all right? <laughs> Hi, Mom. Uh, so I think it was my mom who one time said, you know, if you tell the truth all the, all the time, you don't have to remember what you said, right? And I was like, ah, I'd prefer to not do that because I don't want to tell my mom the truth. It's not true, Mom. We're going to edit that, Corey. <laughs> so am I active in right living? Even when making the hard, difficult decisions when an easier path is available. It's about having difficult conversations. That's, that's what right living is. It's about having difficult conversations. It's about making hard choices now that will make a better life later. So Paul says we need to have truthful conversations. We need to have a right living. And then he says peace, right? He says peace. It's the put on the peace that comes from the good news. What is peace? It's unity with God and humanity. That's what peace is. Interesting, I noticed that if we are living truthfully and if we're living right, 
peace is more easily established. It's a natural byproduct. Paul goes on and says, faith. I thought this was interesting. Faith is trust, it's confidence, and it's hope. And then I found this definition. Faith is believing in something that has not happened yet. That's good, right? Faith is believing in something that has not happened yet. But then I found this. Guess what the definition of fear is? Believing in something that has not happened yet. So that led me to the question, do I believe in faith or fear? Am I putting my faith in God or am I putting my faith in fear? Am I putting my faith in the outcome, putting my faith in God for the outcome or in fear? So Paul says faith. Then Paul says salvation, right? And he says, in addition to all these things, put on salvation as your helmet. A reminder of our transformation and a reminder that Jesus is transforming all of us. Every person. That means that Jesus is going to be leading some people differently than me in this process of transformation. But do I see that God is transforming people? Do I recognize that Jesus is working in someone else's life? And when I do, that means that I should have a different attitude possibly towards that person. Because if I see them as worthy enough that Jesus would die for them, how does that change the way I see people? And then Paul says this. He says, and take the sword of the Spirit. Now, when I was in Sunday school, that was always the coolest one. You're like, oh, finally, we're getting to swords, right? Because that sounds pretty aggressive. And I was always told that the Bible was the sword of the Spirit because it's talking about the Word of God, right? Sounds right. And so I was like, all right, great. Now I can use the Bible as a weapon. Perfect. Except I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about. See, whenever the Word of God is talked about, it's about words. It's about, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God spoke light and light existed. And it says that Jesus was the Word of God. And so to live with the Word of God as my sword, am I believing and speaking and living out God's Word in my life? See, it's not just, it's not enough to just read or study, the Word of God needs to be lived out in my life. 
Now, interesting, most people stop at verse 17, and, and in Sunday school class, it always stopped right there, and you, you were decked out, and you had your helmet of salvation, and you had your shoulder plaids or whatever, and your, uh, you know, because it was the football gear, because that's what everybody always had, right? And you had your baseball mitt of salvation or whatever it was, right? And you were all geared up, and they always had someone dressed like that, and then they were done, and the message was wrapped up, and you went home, except that there's one more piece See, Paul has one more piece. See, in some of your Bibles, verse 18 is a new paragraph, but in the, uh, in the original Greek, there were no paragraphs. And so the translators would have to determine by the context and by the, uh, uh, the, 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 um, the tense of the Greek word whether or not it should be a new paragraph. And in this case, often our Bibles are wrong. And the verse 18 is a new paragraph. But Paul intended verse 18 to be the next sentence. So it's up on the screen. It says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so Paul talks about prayer here. He says that prayer is this communication with God. It's our ability to live out these others, these other attitudes are all impacted by prayer. And Paul says that our prayer needs to be constant and intense and unselfish. And get this, prayer is the only piece of armor the church has that's aggressive in nature. All the other pieces are meant to defend. Prayer is our greatest weapon, and sadly, it's probably the weapon we use the least. I believe that's why it isn't often included in our spiritual warfare weapon list because our prayer efforts are so inferior. And so perhaps you're feeling like you're losing this fight. And I told you it was going to be an inspiring and challenging message, and you're not feeling very inspired or challenged yet. And maybe you feel like you've hit some roadblocks, and you've stumbled, and you've felt emotionally and mentally and spiritually drained, and you've been disappointed by results, whatever those results may be, whether it's your family or your work life or your church life, and you just feel... Have you heard of Eric Muslim Bonnie? Eric Mosambani was an Olympic swimmer from the small country of Equatorial Guinea. It was the, uh, I think it's the 2002 Olympics. Uh, he was 20 years old and he was uh, elected to represent his country in the Olympics and represent in the 100 meter swim. Here was the challenge for Eric. He had never swum 100 meters in a row and he had barely trained at all for the event. The reason he had barely trained is not because he wasn't committed to it. It's because the largest pool that they had available for Eric to swim in was 20 meters long, and he was going to swim a 100-meter race. He only was given access to the pool on occasion because the pool had other uses as well. Now, in Eric's Olympic heat, to swim the 100-meter swim, there were two other swimmers on either side of him, and there was a false start. And so, uh, you know, they may have eight lanes, and, and they do several different heats. And so Eric was with two other swimmers, and there were the only three swimmers in this heat, but they both false started. And so Eric was left as the only swimmer to swim in his heat 
in the 2002 Olympics, and he swam. Swimming might be an exaggeration. It was closer to a doggy paddle. But something happened about halfway through the race. There was a crowd of about 17,000 people there witnessing Eric's race. And they started to root and cheer for him because he was struggling. He eventually and barely finished his 100 meters. He finished it in one minute and 52 seconds. Just in case you're wondering, that's 55 seconds slower than the next slowest swimmer. A reporter immediately afterward asked him how he felt, and he said, this is the biggest day of my life. I finished a 100-meter race, and I'm going to go back and find my mom, and we're going to sing and dance. So maybe you're feeling like Eric. You're halfway across the pool. You're doggy paddling to stay afloat. And you're not sure you'll get to the other side. Maybe you stumbled and you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you're feeling emotionally, mentally, and spiritually drained. You've been disappointed in the results. And you feel like you're losing. And you feel like you're doggy paddling to the finish. You need to know you are not alone. That Paul challenges us as the church to do this thing together. And I want to let you in on a little secret. We have already won. In Revelation chapter 21, it's the end of the Bible. It's the very end, all right? It's the last thing there. There's a verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Now, I stop there whenever I read this verse because I have to stop because it says, I heard a voice. All right. Now, John is letting us know that there's a voice coming from the throne. And who sits on the throne? God, right? So God is shouting in excitement. And it says this. Look. Look. God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people, and he's their God. See, the outcome has already been decided, folks. We already know who wins. In the end, God wins. We win. Love wins. We still need to go out, and we still need to live this life. We still need to be prepared. We still need to be armored up. We still need to strategically be placed by God. But God has, and God has told us to go out and to love. And while the enemy is real, and while God has already secured the victory through Jesus, the outcome is decided, and we win. The only question left then is, do you want to get out there and be part of the victory that's already been won? Or do you want, or do you want to be part of building the kingdom of God? Yes, it's hard work. Yes, it's tiring and exhausting and overwhelming and can feel like you're doggy paddling across an Olympic-sized pool. And you can say, Rick, I've tried this. I've invited people. They look at me cross-eyed. And you're doggy paddling across the pool. But we already won. I've watched that video like 12 times. Guess what? He gets to the other side every time I watch it. Because he already did it. 
We already won. Don't stop asking. You guys are so not excited about already winning. But isn't it worth it? Because someday we're going to be standing, and these are things that get me all flanked. Someday we're going to be standing in eternity. And what I love about Revelation 21 is it's a glimpse of what we're going to see and hear. And we're going to hear a voice from the throne. An excited, giddy, excited. God is going to be shouting. God's excitement about humanity being together with God. And someday, standing in eternity, we will look back and know that our lives were spent doing the only thing that lasts forever. Isn't that worth it? So we're going to celebrate communion together, and I'm going to ask you to reflect on some things. Reflect on where you are, and you may feel like you're halfway across the pool and you're just doggy paddling through and just about able to get to the other side. And you may need to armor up, looking at those areas in your life and say, where am I missing? God, what do I need more of? I need more prayer life. I need a, a greater, maybe, God, maybe I just need to make those hard decisions now for a better life later. And then my second challenge to you is reflect on who it is that you would consider inviting for Easter. You know, we have two Super Bowls in the church. Easter and Christmas. It's our Super Bowl in two weeks. There are people who are looking for a church. We're praying for those folks that came to build the money. We'll pray for the folks that come to our table at Chick-fil-A who are looking for a church. There are people in your workplaces who are looking for a church. Reflect on who those people may be and whether you would invite them to join us.